Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities, and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today. If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, beautiful human, and welcome back to another episode of In the Details. I'm your host, Karen Allen, and today my guest is Caroline Miller. She's one of the world's leading experts on the science behind successful goal setting and the use of grit, but not any kind of grit, the good grit. (laughs) We need some good grit in our lives to achieve hard things. And for more than 30 years, Caroline has been a pioneer in the self-help and positive psychology worlds. Her best-selling books, executive coaching, educational courses, motivational speaking, and personal stories bring audiences research-based actionable strategies. And you know I love when we tie the research into a practical strategy. So please get your notebooks and your pens ready however you take notes, because in this conversation, we're going to talk about how we can cultivate more grit, dig deeper to clarify and achieve our toughest, most important goals. Let's get in the details with Caroline Miller. Caroline, welcome. Oh, gosh. Thanks for having me. I'm all jazzed. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's admit you're jazzed because you just did the running man. If you guys Uh... listen, there's only one audience that's going to see that. But the next time you're speaking, you might want to break out the running man, Caroline. I did on stage in front of a thousand people in Phoenix. And I got to tell you, I got a standing ovation because I did the running man at the end. End of story. (laughs) End of story. But it was great. I love it. I love it. Well, all right, listener, you see the kind of conversation we're about to get into full of energy. And honestly, I feel like the best way to start this conversation, I know a little bit of your story, you know, through the things that I've read, the things that I've watched, but also through our conversation and getting to know each other. And we have to start, you know, from the beginning. How did you even get into this space? How did you decide that you wanted to focus your life's work on goals and grit? And honestly, I'm most interested in you sharing how you fell into that world of positive psychology because I fell in by accident. I didn't even know it was a thing. And I feel like for most people, unless you know this is the track that you want to go, maybe it starts in organizational development or something along those lines. For the most part, people don't know about positive psychology. They just know about traditional psychology. So would love to hear your journey on how you got to the work you're doing today. Wow. I'm just shaking my head while you're saying that because I've been so deep in positive psychology for 20 years. I forget that people may not know about it. So it's, uh, it's, and they need to know. And they need to know. They must know. I think it's foundational. And it's the study of human flourishing. I got into it probably because I wasn't flourishing at my highest and best levels. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I'm a fifth generation Washingtonian. I went to, you know, the right prep schools. My great uncles won the Olympics, uh, went one, two in an event, made history, set a world record, yada, yada. So I grew up with these high standards in swimming, in school, in the family. I thought that success would bring happiness if you had the right kind of success. 
And it only led me into an eating disorder. So very young, about 14, I developed bulimia. It wasn't well known at the time. Uh, I was eighth, ninth grade. Nobody got better. It was a death sentence. Karen Carpenter died. thought getting married would cure me. So I asked a guy on my third date at, in college if he would marry me. Uh, I had had very few dates up till that point. So I assumed it was a long sleepover. We just celebrated our 40th anniversary. So mm-hmm. something good happened. But I hit my last bottom in 1984 with bulimia and climbed my way back to recovery and health, wrote a book about it. My name is Caroline, ended up being the first book by anyone who survived bulimia and lived to tell about it. And then I wrote a sequel that was about how do you stay in recovery. That all led me into the field of goal setting and grit and positive psychology because I became an executive coach. People found me because of my books, uh, and I ended up helping people set, pursue, and achieve their own hard goals. Now, what I didn't know as I laid the groundwork for all of this is that everything that was out there as far as books, resources, movies, et cetera, on goal setting was all urban legends and snake oil. It took me seeing a smiley face on the cover of Time magazine in early 2005 about the science of happiness and it was changing the world and it was just being infused into every possible study uh, in the world, every discipline. There was a little paragraph in there that said, um, University of Pennsylvania is taking 32 men and women from around the world in their first ever masters of applied positive psychology. And in my bones, I knew I had to get in there. Something told me my life would change. That's how I got in there. That changed my life. And we can go into how I got exposed to the theories that now undergird what I do and books I write and the work I do with executives. But that's how I got there. And I think in some level, many people who found it that early knew they weren't flourishing and wanted to know the science on how to flourish. So I think it's like the shoemaker's children have no shoes. I think a lot of people in that first pioneering class at Penn, we all knew something was broken, couldn't put our finger on it, but thought maybe Penn and the study of psych- of positive psychology would lead us somewhere better, and it did, and now they've graduated their 20th or 15th, or 15th class, and the world is full of people like you and me who love positive psychology. So that's that's the backstory, that's the present story, and that's the in-between story. Yeah, <laughs> those are the highlights. Very good. Yeah, Very yeah. Good. So when you were getting into this and you knew that you wanted to study the science behind it, it was because you had done something very specific in your life to achieve a goal of overcoming bulimia. Yes. But I wonder when you say there was no science at the time that was supporting a goal setting process or, or how we really achieve those goals successfully, when you got into the program, how did you all then start to find that evidence? Because the first one you and I were talking about this before, the first thing that popped in mind was, were there studies that were perhaps out there, but they weren't being shared because in today's age, things are shared so quickly through technology. Whereas before you're only getting information. If like a neighbor or someone in your community is able to, you know, it's that it was that slow as far as sharing information. So I am very curious about that piece. When you first entered the program, were you all able to uncover maybe research studies that just hadn't been shared, you know, far and wide across the masses, or did the research start with you all? Interesting. I think there's been boatloads of research since I entered the program in 2005. But 
the research that grabbed me, and I was the only one who focused on goal setting. The research I focused on started with goal setting theory, an assignment we had in October of 2005, Locke and Latham. And I remember reading this assignment just with this like puzzled look on my face, like, there's science, there's goal setting theory. I thought smart goals might be goal setting theory. Turns out it's nothing, there's no no evidence to it. OKRs and KPIs are well used, but started in the 1970s at Intel. Not a lot of research behind them. Goal setting theory was new and different to me. So I I knew that I had to bring it to the mass market. And so, yes, goal setting theory had existed since 1990. However, the biggest problem with academia is that it has a wonderful R&D approach to finding new things. It has zero supply chain to the mass market. And so it takes people like you and me and other people who have an audience um, and who are interested in sharing evidence and research and footnotes to carry it out to the mass market. And that's what I did. My capstone that year at Penn ended up becoming the book, Creating Your Best Life, which has been ranked the number one goal setting book on many lists for 15 years. And it was the first, and pinch me, I'm pinching myself. It was the first mass market book on goal setting that ever included footnotes or research, period. End of story blow my mind. And so because I, I'm not a researcher who has to publish or perish in an academic environment where you only cite your own research, and because I could take an evidence-based look at a lot of connected theories and research for the first time, I was able to be a pracademic. I was able to pull it all together, and my I, I love to write books. And then I like to work with human beings to see, does this research hold water with real humans? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. the researchers don't always know that. They don't know if there are interventions that work with a CEO. So I spend a lot of time road testing the research to see, is this useful? And so that's how I got where I am. I now focus exclusively, nearly exclusively on CEOs because I can make a bigger impact teaching them the science of goal setting and see it cascade through organization. Uh, and I do it through books, but I'm trying to reach as many people as possible in the time I have on earth. And I do think learning goal setting theory can change the world because too many people in our youth feel overwhelmed by trying to do something important to them and they have no idea where to start. And they want everything to come to them fast. Mm -hmm. So I'm on a mission to change the world by teaching goal setting theory. And that's just, you know, you're doing good work. It. You're doing good. Doing work. My best. So yeah. I have not studied goal setting theory. So I'm going to ask you something from a very naive space. Mm -hmm. When I thought about after uh, going through so many different huge life events, and then on the back end of that, deciding to become an entrepreneur and start a business, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, how do I get through these huge, audacious milestones that I that some were just thrown right as a huge boulder on my pathway of life, yeah. and others I'm like, I'm going to take this road. I don't care if it looks rocky, right? Some chosen, some not. Mm -hmm. but the point mm -hmm. is, I noticed that I was applying something very similar to both of these pathways. And it kind of goes back to the the saying, how do you eat that elephant one bite at a yeah. time? Yeah. Bill Smith has a really great story of how do you build a brick wall? You lay one brick at a time. 
but these weren't top of mind for me when I started to innately pursue, whether it was the path of healing, path of growth or path of entrepreneurship. But what I, what made sense in my mind, and this is why I'm wondering if maybe you can help me connect the dot to if this is in research somewhere, I would love to hear about it. But when you look at the big goal, sometimes we start there. We're like, that's where I want to go. So I have to set my vision and you just, but that feels very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I may have a quick vision, but I don't stay there long because then I just back it all the way up to say, well, what would be the first step that would Mm -hmm. really in my mind, the visualization that comes up is like a domino. What is the first domino to fall that would help me get to that end goal? Is that in any way, shape or form what you started to study and, and is that something that can help people when they are starting to pursue a huge audacious goal is to just back it all the way up, back it all the way up to what is that first step? Yes, 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 yes. And yes. So, you know, intuitively, a lot of people who are high achievers figure this out by studying other people who've succeeded in big endeavors. So my guess is you had some role models who had shown you the path to do this, but there are many nuances. Goal setting theory is the beginning place. What you're talking about, the whole idea of that's where I want to go and then backing it up. That's Gabrielle Ottigen's work on looking into the future, seeing what you want, and then, but you have to ask yourself, what's the why behind that? Just any old big goal doesn't work. It's got to be intrinsic. It's got to be your goal. But if, you, if you've done that homework and you go and say, that's what I want, and then you come back to where you are today and say, how am I going to do this? And then you say, well, if I do this, then this next thing will happen. It all leads here. That's called leveraged goals. And as a, as a goal setting specialist, I look for leveraged goals. I look for Gabrielle Ottigen's work because she found that if you say, here I am today, and that's where I want to go, how am I going to get there? It's much more overwhelming and people don't commit to the path. If you go into the future, but don't daydream too much because people who daydream too much and vision boards and all the rest of it, they start to believe they've done more work than they have. Isn't that interesting? And so I just went to town pulling all of those strands, Ottagen's work. I mean, just there's so many priming, motivational, self-talk, visualization. There's so many pieces to it that are in creating your best life. And then my next book, The Bridge Methodology, is going to join creating your best life with the current research. So you have to learn enough about how to get going so that you don't give up. And one really quick thing I want to say about self-regulation is the main reason people don't commit to and succeed at New Year's resolution is because willpower is a muscle that gets depleted. And if you set too many goals that require saying no to yourself, you will deplete that muscle so quickly that you'll probably fail at everything. Pick one. Put a stake in the ground on one thing, you know, lifting weights, quitting smoking, drinking less coffee, changing your career and saying no to certain assignments. You can say yes more to exploring a new area. You've got to do that because the research found that that willpower muscle carries over into other parts of your life. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just so interesting when people say to me, "I, I got overwhelmed, I quit. If you start to ask a few very direct questions, you'll quickly find the thing in the different theories that they did wrong or that they didn't know about. Why would anybody know about this? As I said, R&D is great in academia, and there's zero supply chain to the mass market. And that's why most people don't know. But here's what appalls me. 
most companies are not using science to set their goals. Most companies are being built on snake oil, smart goals, for example, or no science of any kind, not even just saying, oh, we, we'll do 50% more than we did last year just because that'll work or that'll galvanize people. I mean, come on, people, let's learn the science. It's out there. Creating Your Best Life, I think, is still the best book on the market about this. All right, friends, we're going to pause for just a quick second to spotlight some folks who support the show. So we'll be back in just a moment. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. You know, this is why, like, I was very timid on sharing things that were helping in my personal journey, because a lot of my personal journey is very spiritual and Mm faith-based. And it was like, I Mm -hmm. had to surrender because there were so many things out of my control, but what helped me to then become more intentional about things that were working for me was when I had that spirituality piece, but then I married it with the science because when I started to learn the science, I was like, oh, wait, hold on. There's a, this completely unlocked what I'm doing, like in these habits. So what happened was the habits may have been or felt spiritually based, right? For example, we'll say meditation and prayer. But what I then realized was the pattern of continuing to do this and how I was doing it was then impacting my brain through neuroplasticity. And Mm -hmm. so that helped me to feel more confident in what I was doing, which is why I love how you're saying this is like, if we brought that science into the conversation for individuals and for companies, it builds your confidence to know why these things work. Okay. And so you just opened a whole nother door that we should explore. <laughs> and and by using prayer and meditation, you're you're in many ways, I think, tipping the scales in the favor that this is an intrinsic goal. This isn't someone else's goal. When you have that kind of searching inside yourself to see where is it I want to go and, and why is that important. But what you're talking about in the field of positive psychology are what's called positive intervention. And there are a few things that work for Everybody and prayer and meditation to me are right at the top along with gratitude practices. And I think prayer is a form of gratitude. But the reason why it's so important to understand the science behind how do you raise your flourishing level? Because it's not going to just happen to you because you wake up in the morning. It's going to happen because you do exercise, a gratitude practice, you journal, you meditate, you help other people, you're altruistic, you use your character strengths, your top character strengths in new ways uh, and creative ways. The reason why this is so important, I think this is another foundational theory that had never hit the market because it was pretty new when I went to school, is that all success in life, all success is preceded by being happy first. So I grew up thinking, if I get the right SAT score, the right swimming time, whatever, get into the right college, I'll be happy. And the truth of the matter is, and there's great research on this, if you want to succeed at any goals, you have to boot up your happiness level first. And you were unknowingly 
doing this and seeing the results. Mm-hmm. You were upping your flourishing. Why did I'll just give you just one or two more sound bites? Why does it work to improve your flourishing level or your happiness, which it was once called exclusively? It's because when you're flourishing, your eyes are a little bit wider open, a little bit. You take in more of the environment. You're more optimistic. You're more likely to to get friends and keep friends because people want to be around you. You have more zest. You have more energy. You have more optimism. And even if you're wrong, even if you're unrealistically optimistic, that optimism, that hope for the future actually tilts in your favor more than defensive pessimism. So behind all of this getting a little bit happier is the research on what it's doing to your brain your neuroplasticity, your behavior, the people around you. So there's a lot of reasons why. Some people want to dive in and understand all of it, but some people just go, okay, I hear you. I know that works. I've seen it work in my life and I'm going to do more of that now. Yes. And I'm going to say one more thing only, one. The quality of people around you has a massive impact on whether or not you're going to achieve your goals. So take a look at the people who have access to you through email, through phone calls, because that has a massive impact on whether or not you're going to succeed in anything in life. Absolutely. Absolutely. We definitely will dive into community piece of this, but I I do want to go back to that point where you say that happiness, it feels like it's like the miracle grow for your goals. Right. Yeah. And, 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 but, and maybe not the miracle grow. It actually, it may be the foundational soil as you're saying, like that has to be jet fuel. It's (laughs) the rocket fuel. Yeah. So, so a lot of people though, and I remember again, feeling very cautious about sharing the things that were working for me because I was afraid that people would then say, Oh, that's just toxic positivity. And, Oh, well, maybe you were just born, you know, this optimistic person. I've had literally had people say to me and ask me after a keynote, like, well, you know, do you think that you were able to get over your husband's murder because you're naturally optimistic? And I'm like, did you hear the question you just asked me? Was it if easy? you think that like, I don't know, a joyful spirit is going to help you get over mm. your spouse being killed, mm. then you have a different view of the world that I just don't understand. It's not something that it just like turns on. But what did help me to start to bounce back was something you mentioned, which was gratitude. And I had no idea, no idea, Caroline. I've said this before on other shows that my most basic gratitude was like, thank you for a soft pillow. But because those small things that I was grateful for started to then take shape in my brain, then started to expand my thinking, then helped me to be feel more hopeful instead of all these, right? And so that right there, I think is really, really key because there was a point where I thought, and I truly believed, I remember having this thought distinctively. I'm tapped out. I don't have any resilience left. I don't know how I'm going to bounce back from like, I think you're just born with a certain amount and I'm done. This is too much. Mm. And it was at that point, I really was not sure what was going to happen next in my life because I felt completely tapped out. But around the same time is when I started to do the most basic gratitude practices Mm. And it started to change. And I did not know what was happening on the inside. But what are some other things that people could do to cultivate resilience and grit? And I'm asking in terms of this 
piece of the pie specifically because we live in this world where chaos is always thrown at us, right? Whether it's through conversations we're having with people or someone upset on the road or something we scroll across in our feed, right? It's just a lot of negativity and destruction. And I know, and I believe, and I teach people like we have to protect our mind and our brain from the chaos of this world. So let's talk a little bit about that. How can we protect our mind from the chaos of this world? Uh, that was a, that was a lot you just shared, and I really, um, <laughs> I, I, I really honor the the path you've been on and the difference you've made in other people's lives because of the sharing. It does bring up for me this idea or this fact that there is a mathematical ratio for positive to negative emotions that we must be over every day if we're going to flourish. The baseline is three to one. Three positive interactions, three positive um, things that we generate, three nice, you know, conversations we have to one negative because bad is bigger than good in our brains. So speaking Mm -hmm. of, you know, brain plasticity, the last evolution of our brain was the ice age. So bad is stickier. And so we have to have those three to one. So by practicing gratitude and seeing things that were good in your life, you unknowingly probably, you know, began to bring bring up the cushion that you had to deal with the negative. So what what can we do? We can start with that. Um, this show isn't long enough to go into all the different ways um, that we know through research, bring about all those positive emotions and, and moments. But I do think we live in an awe-deprived society and we have cut funding to arts and music in the schools and our children are on screen so much that they don't see much that is truly awesome. And when we're awestruck, we're often silent and mesmerized by something that's greater than us. It could be somebody being selfless. For astronauts who go up into space and look back and do this thing called earth gazing, they are just struck and transformed by how small and fragile the world looks. And many of them come back and become humanitarians because they're they're changed on a cellular level. But being around things that are truly awesome, not just using the word awesome, things that are greater than us, people who do things heroically and selflessly and don't expect a trophy for doing it, often leave us awestruck being in the presence of of musicians or even great sporting events that bring, bring us to our feet. Those are awesome. So that's one way we can bring that about. A very practical thing I found when I studied champions, and I gave a TED talk about this, a TEDx talk about it, is I found that people with good grit had an agreement with themselves ahead of time when they were pursuing something hard. And by the way, the happiest people wake up to hard goals every day, not easy goals, not low goals, articles. They agreed with themselves ahead of time that when the mental or physical or even financial challenges would feel overwhelming, they would change the channel in their brains and go to a prearranged place that would keep them going just a little bit longer. And it could be a biblical phrase. It could be the face of a person who passed on who, who means something to us and we're doing it in honor of them. It could be a song. It could be a slogan. But Everyone who has that kind of good grit, I found that allowed them to persist just a little bit longer, had a prearranged something that they went to. And that's called Peter Goldwitzer's work on if-then scenarios. If this happens, then I will do this thing to counteract whatever it is. That triples your chance of accomplishing hard things if you think that through ahead of time. When you study the ancient Stoics, I think on some some level, they they knew this because they had a phrase, premeditatio malorum, premeditate the evils in front of you. 
Mm-hmm. Be ready. Have mm-hmm. a plan. And it's not enough to have a goal or a dream. Better have a strategy. Mm-hmm. And that strategy better be evidence-based. Now, I'm, I'm a veteran of 12-step programs. That's how I got over my bulimia. I've been sober for 40 years, et cetera, et cetera. But I just sat in rooms and listened to people telling their stories of overcoming. Just one day at a time, I went, okay, today I heard that person give me hope and clarity. I can do hard things too. Today, the research wasn't in on whether or not Alcoholics Anonymous worked for years. But if you were in the program, you knew it worked. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes the research is catching up to what we know works, like birds of a feather flock together, right? We now know that we catch moods from other people. So if it's working for you, there's probably some science behind it is what I want to leave people with. Yes. I love that. I love that. One of the things that I found that is all inspiring for me is honestly just being out in nature. And I feel like that's something that we do not tap into enough, but man, I tell you that it definitely makes me feel small. And I'd heard that before about astronauts who go up, they turn around, they see the earth and it changes them forever. But I love how you mentioned very specifically that when we connect ourselves back to something that helps us to keep going, just having that in mind mm-hmm. is really good because it's it's giving us more space to accept that hard times are going to come. Yes. And I think the problem sometimes with personal growth and the way that people present it is the belief that this is going to solve all your problems and it's not, it's yeah. going to change how you interact with them. So that one small piece about like, okay, expecting that stressful moments and hard times are going to come can actually help you to change your relationship with it completely. Oh, yes. And so, so one of the things that I work with, and I've actually done this even with um, preteens when they work on visualization for their Mm -hmm. particular sport, I don't just tell them to imagine, although one piece of it is imagine that you're doing this move. Imagine that you're completing this, you know, process, but then to take it up a notch, it's Imagine that you are playing with three seconds left and they're all up on you in your space. And you have exactly. So imagine the stress that you're going to go through and how you would address that. Now, again, this is something that I didn't know (laughs) was like Mm -hmm. just a thing that is, is important, but how important is it to really visualize the stressful piece as opposed to the positive outcome that you're trying to create? Ah, such a good question. So I'm going to go back to Gabriel Ottigen and and even the ancient Stoics. I mean, you have to imagine that you're going to hit a speed bump and you have to be ready for it. This is why companies do, do things called doomsday scenarios and red teaming. If you're not actively imagining that something awful like a pandemic is going to come and destroy your supply chain for two years, then you have no playbook to be ready. Emotionally, you have to have a playbook to be ready. And I'm afraid we raised a generation. My adult children were raised as part of the self-esteem movement where we were told, you know, praise your child. If they bring home a picture, tell them they're the next Picasso. You know, don't time them when they run. Just give everyone a trophy. I mean, the downside and the outcomes, negative outcomes from that have included a lack of resilience, a lack of people being entrepreneurial, a lack of kids climbing trees and breaking bones. It's unbelievable. So the research is now in that we have to teach our children and ourselves because they're watching us. We're we're their greatest teachers. That bad things happen. And if you have to be ready for that, 
Now, you do want to visualize something positive because, you know, Gabriel Ottigen says you got to go there. I mean, everybody seems to know that part. But you have to come back now and say, what's my playbook when this happens or that happens? I remember Michael Phelps's coach, Bob Bauman, at a huge, maybe it was the World Championships, stepped on his goggles deliberately before one of his biggest races because he wanted the goggles to leak during the race to see how Phelps would respond to it. What? That's a a great coach. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Talk about, see, and he didn't coach everyone the same way. Mm -hmm. And this is why great coaches don't have a one size fits all approach Mm -hmm. to helping people achieve their potential. If you're selling a system that's like, well, if you do this, do this, do this, that doesn't work. You better have a lot of tools in your toolkit Mm -hmm. because everyone is a little bit different. Yeah. Walk around in their brains help them figure it out, and then be the person who holds them accountable by uh, having, you know, difficulties. And then, you know, challenge them to not need a trophy or a, that's great, all the time. Yes, yes. I love how you said that. I mean, it is so important that we have, and I think this is something that now we're, we are tapping into a lot more because again, for us to be able to share information so quickly, it's helping us to build our own unique toolkit as it pertains to life and goal setting and success and happiness. Whereas before we thought it was, I remember feeling this during grief and they're like, oh, there's a seven steps to, you know, grieving. And I'm like, I feel all of those things and they're not in that order. And sometimes I feel them all in one hour. So what is wrong with me? But again, that's not how I was living it because I'm different than the next person. Right. And also we'll, there was part of that that was taken out of context when they started to share the different stages of grief. But the whole point is that we're all so different. So we're going to experience it differently, which is why in this show, I love having guests and experts on like yourself, because it helps our listeners to develop this very, you know, it's like a smorgasbord. It's like, you're going to a buffet and you can pick out all these different tools, try them on, see what works for you. And that's how I started to go even deeper into positive psychology, because Mm. it wasn't just this one piece that definitely pulled me in, which is post-traumatic growth. That's the first piece that pulled me in. And then everything else that I found behind that was absolutely incredible. And the one piece I do want to go back to, and I thought this was really helpful in my own journey was understanding how important community is because the people around you do impact not just your well-being, but they also impact the choices that you're making, you know? And, and so when you think about how it will, we, I'll tell you what, we will take this to a part two, but before we do, before we do give us a little bit of of, of a snapshot on how important and why community is important to individuals setting, achieving their goals, yeah. but also yeah. just flourishing in life. Oof. Okay. So positive psychology has been said to boil down to three words, other people matter. And that has multiple, you know, things behind it. The happiest people cultivate and treasure good relationships, not all relationships, good relationships. And so there's a fundamental piece to community being good for you as long as the people bring more to the table and make you feel better and vice versa. However, there is an awful lot of research on the fact that uh, if you're around people, and many of us are, and sometimes they're in our family, sometimes they've married into our family, sometimes it's people we work with, people who do not respond with this very important 
important re response, which is active, constructive responding. Are other people curious and enthusiastic when good things happen to you? And if they are not, they have just told you who they are. They've told you that they don't wow. care if you achieve your goals, that they might be jealous of you, that you are moving too quickly and leaving them behind. Whatever it is, Shelley Gable's research at the University of California, Santa Barbara, very conclusively determined there are four ways to respond to people's good news and dreams and goals and the rest of it. And there's only one right way. The other three, you can imagine what they are, but you've got to be curious and enthusiastic. She went on, and I call it the first responder research. What if you are early in the goal setting process and you share it with somebody who responds with something passive, something actively destructive, but something that's not um, active, constructive responding, ACR? She found that you're likely to abandon that goal in the next two weeks and wow. or to code that goal as a negative in your brain. And so that's why it's like if you see trees that have just been planted in a park or somewhere and they have that netting around them and that's designed to keep the wind from blowing it down or whatever, your, your dreams and goals are very precious initially and they will be blown down sometimes permanently if you share them too early with people who do not have your best interests at heart. And so the community around you when you are on a mission, when you are doing something that's important to you, a big goal, a dream, and as I said, the hardest, the hardest goals are what happy people pursue, you better do a, a stress test on all of those relationships and float even fake good news and just see how are they responding. Keep that community small and make it all ACR people. All women should be in a mastermind group where they get to be the experts. They're not interrupted. They have big dreams. Other people have their back. We'll go into that another time. But I cannot overstate the importance of who is around you. And even if it's in your family, there are ways to put containers around those people. And going back to the ma mathematical ratio, get yourself ready. If you know a negative's coming, put as many positive micro moments of joy, flourishing, awe, gratitude, altruism into your day as possible. That way you can withstand the negative forces around you. Mm, mm. Gem after gem after gem after gem. <laughs> You're just dropping it, Caroline. Thank you yeah. so much. Okay. We will continue this conversation because I think it's very, very important that we talk about the importance of community, especially we have some high achievers here. You know, our listening community, they are all big goal getters. And, and, and a lot of times I think our biggest struggle is with the most intimate relationships. And if those are the things that are going to hold you back from achieving those goals, well, mm -hmm. I think Caroline is going to give us some ways that we can address that. So Caroline, thank you so much for this conversation. This was so, so good. And I cannot wait for our next chat. What a pleasure. Thank you. I'll be better at running man next time too. <laughs> we'll see if we can catch that in a reel. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Caroline. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcasts.